Now, Rachel is going to come and read to us, I think, from John uh, chapter 10. We're working through John's gospel over these next few weeks. We're in John chapter 10 this evening, starting to read at verse 1. The words will appear on screen. John 10, starting at verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad, why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say that your sheep know your voice. Lord, help us to know your voice today. Help us to hear in this not just the words of your biographer, John. Help us to hear you speaking to each one of us today. Help us to hear you calling each one of us by name. And may none of us go away unchanged by that. Amen. A couple of years ago, I got an email from a friend who um, I knew from a church that I used to attend um, in a different town. I'd I'd since moved away. Uh, So I hadn't spoken to her for a while. I hadn't been in touch for a while. And this email, um, she said she was stranded on holiday. She'd been on holiday in the Philippines and her bag had been stolen all her, her passport, all her devices, all her, her plane tickets had gone. And she was stuck. 
And the hotel that she'd been staying at thankfully recognized her, and they had booked her new tickets, but she needed someone to send the money. As I read this email, I thought, hang on a minute. (laughs) Something is off here. She didn't sound like herself. And if she was in this situation, I would probably not have been at the top of the list of the people she had asked for money. She, she, was, she was using different words. Her, her grammar was different. She was reacting to what had happened in a way that wasn't like her at all. I texted a, a mutual friend just to be sure, and he said, yeah, I saw her at church um, last Sunday. She's not even slightly stranded in the Philippines. <laughs> Of course, you all guessed what happened. Her, her email had been hacked. And there, were, there were scammers, they were fishing for money. But it didn't work. Because when they spoke, even through her email, they couldn't speak in her voice. I say this because at the heart of this, this part of John's Gospel that we just read is a question of voice recognition. Jesus says that his sheep follow the shepherd. They follow him because they know his voice. There is a link between knowing the shepherd's voice and following the shepherd's lead. And on the other hand, in verse 6, the sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Like sheep, we will follow the voice that we recognize we will not follow the lead of a voice we don't recognize. I wouldn't send money to those account details that they gave me because I didn't hear the voice of my friend in that email. It didn't sound like her, so I wouldn't follow what they were asking me to do. So Jesus is using this image of a shepherd, this wonderful, comforting, compelling picture, but we have to note at the start that this is not just one picture. It is actually multiple pictures. Last week, I tried to illustrate something using magic eye, and it turned out most of you don't even know what magic eye was. Does anyone know what a kaleidoscope is? <laughs> General murmurs of agreement. This image of a shepherd is kind of like that, that it, that it is one thing. It, its colors are the same, but it shifts around a bit. First, Jesus is the shepherd that enters by the gate. Then later, he is the gate. Sometimes the stranger is a thief. Sometimes the stranger is a hired hand. And Jesus is coming at this from a few different angles. It's it's like a kaleidoscope that he's kind of twisting it slightly and, and using this image in slightly different ways. So we'll probably have to do a little bit more jumping around the passage than we usually do. And on top of that, feeding into this is, of course, a long, rich history of this picture of shepherd being used in the Bible, of this this theme of a link between shepherds and leaders. Many of the leaders of the people of God in the Old Testament trained to lead God's people by being actual shepherds. Abraham did, Jacob did. Moses did, David the king did, the prophet Amos. And all of that is is kind of flowing in to what Jesus is saying here. But the big question, as I said, there's lots of different things going on, but the big question is this. Whose voice are we following? We hear many voices each week, all week long, 
Many people are talking to us. Friends, family, teachers, advertisers, singers, newsreaders, podcasters. How do we know if we are listening to the voice of a shepherd or the voice of a stranger? How can we tell if this is a voice that is going to lead us to good or to lead us to harm? Let's start with the stranger's voice. Jesus is saying all this to a particular group of people. This is not just a, a kind of out-of-the-blue image that he's giving. This is part of a conversation that he's having. So, so chapter 10, verse 1, begins with him addressing these people. He says, very truly, I say to you, Pharisees. He's continuing a conversation that started in, in the previous chapter. Uh, now, these Pharisees, they were a group a very influential group in Jewish first century culture. They became very popular for holding to a very strict, structured version of Judaism. It was so intense, so demanding that everyone thought, oh, this must be the real thing. So they became a very prominent, respected voice in that culture, very influential. But in Jesus' picture here, they are the voice of a stranger. And he uses two characters to kind of get across some of what that means. Two characters, a thief and a hired hand. The first character is the thief. And what gives the thief away, how we recognize that that we are listening to the voice of a thief, is two things. Their way in and where they lead us to. The thief's way in to gain influence over others, to... To, to take this position of leadership is illegitimate. In verse 1, the thief and the robber is anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way. The thief has come in another way. He is in with the sheep, but he is not supposed to be there. He got into the flock by another way than the main gate. So as we are listening to people. We can ask, where is their influence coming from? How did they get into this? How did they get in to be this prominent voice that we are giving weight to, that we are, we are letting advisors? Now, later we'll see that, that Jesus is the gate, and we'll, we'll explore that a bit more when we get to it. But if Jesus is the gate, then a thief is someone who comes to have an influential voice in any other way than going through Jesus. They come to their position of leadership by skirting around Jesus and coming in to gain influence through another way. They might gain that that leadership position, that influence by being intelligent, but by their years of learning, they might gain that that position by being strong or attractive or charming or a gifted communicator. Or they might simply be so well-connected that they know the right people. In the case of the Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to here, their way in was to cultivate this reputation for themselves of being morally good. But the thief in Jesus' definition is anyone who tries to lead others it doesn't start with him. doesn't go through him first. 
Now, these ways into leadership might not immediately seem so bad. But eventually, they start falling apart. Because look where the thief's leadership ends up. Look what's the result of the thief breaking in to the flock. It's death and destruction, isn't it? Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I think we do see that as time goes on with other kinds of leadership, the communities that follow and that form around those who start with these other things than Jesus, those who start with, with moral purity or, or, or with strength or with intelligence or with attractiveness, they always end up cold, unloving, unwelcoming to those who don't have those qualities. They end up actually pushing out those who don't fit that way. Just give an example. A university is a community that is built on knowledge and learning. But if you were to build the whole of society on that principle, on that idea of intelligence and knowledge, what would end up happening would be you would be so dismissive to the people who don't have that. You would be dismissive or patronizing to the people who haven't studied that much who don't have the knowledge, who don't have that learning. And that's what happened with the Pharisees too. The people admired the Pharisees. They allowed them this this influential voice in the culture, but they also feared them. They were terrified of them. In in chapter 9, we had this, this account of how Jesus healed a blind man, and the Pharisees were really up in arms about it, and they asked the man's parents what What happened? But John tells us that the the man's parents were scared. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders because they'd already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They they had that power to expel him, to to cancel him, to, to cut him off from friendship, from work, from support, and they did that to him. That's the thief. The thief enters by another way than Jesus, and the result is destruction. And ultimately, that's a spiritual picture of the eternal result of what happens when we follow the voices of the thieves. Then he shifts slightly, and there's this second character that Jesus uses to describe the Pharisees, the hired hand, in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. There's a slightly different angle on the stranger here. The hired hand doesn't actually sneak in. He's kind of meant to be there. He's occupying a a, a right position there, but he's occupying it in a a superficial way. He looks kind of like a shepherd. He acts kind of like a shepherd. 
but his leadership lacks depth. It, it lacks seriousness because he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care for the sheep. He doesn't really care for those who he's, he's throwing out his advice to, for those who he's asking to do what he wants them to. He's just there for the paycheck. And if it gets tough, he will just move on to something else. I'm sure we've all been there. We've all been in a shop where we've been served by the part-time employee who just does not want to be there. Is just waiting to finish school and then go on to the job that they really want. Maybe some of us have even been that employee whose heart just isn't in it. And it all comes out at the first sign of trouble. The thief takes the wrong way in. But with the hired hand, it's all about the way out. And here's another test for the voices that we listen to. To those who, who are giving us advice, who, who we're allowing a, a weight to influence us as we make decisions on how to live, will they be there when we're in trouble? When disaster comes, the hired hand runs. We are not his sheep. He won't stand in front of a wolf's teeth for us. The thief is harming the sheep for personal gain, but the hired hand is more passive, is just letting the sheep be harmed for personal gain. And for the sheep, the result is, of course, the same. So as we hear these warnings about the stranger's voice, it might be good to just stop and think about who is influencing you? Who's influencing me? Who are the voices that I listen to most? And are these the voices of thieves, the voices of hired hands? Do they, like the thief, come in to their position of influence over me, not through Jesus, but around him, by some other way? In fact, avoiding him. Is there a trail of destruction in their wake? A trail trail of lives that are ruined by the mindset that they advocate or the advice and the influence that they have? Do they really care for us? Or as soon as my life gets, gets tough, will they just be running for the hills? As soon as the wolf shows up, they're gone. There are so many strangers' voices out there. There is just one shepherd's voice. In verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. There's only one. This is one of a series of statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel that begin with, I am And in each of these statements, he is claiming something for himself, claiming something about himself that can only be true of God. In the Bible, the good shepherd is God. One of the the most well-known of of the Psalms, of the songs of of the people of God, is the 23rd Psalm, and it begins like this. 
The Lord is my shepherd. We read at the start of the service from the prophet Micah. A shepherd who will stand in the strength of the Lord. In the prophet Ezekiel, again hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet delivers a message from God to the leaders of God's people in his day. And he rebukes them as bad shepherds, as shepherds who only care for themselves, who take from the flock, but they don't care for the flock. And maybe just flick there if, if you have a Bible open in front of you to Ezekiel chapter 34. If you've got the Blue Church Bibles, it's page 866. Ezekiel 34, and I'll start from verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. I'll pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, this is what he's saying. Here I am. I am God. Come to deliver on that promise. I have come to shepherd my people, myself. You have had so many strangers' voices. Now it is time for you to have your shepherd. Now it is time for you to hear your shepherd's voice. Your good shepherd's voice. What is so good about the good shepherd? I don't think this, that we're meant to just read this as good in the sense that I had a good sandwich for lunch. I think it's good in the sense of ideal the model shepherd, a wonderful shepherd, a a shepherd who is so wonderful. He fills us with wonder. That is how good he is. And we can perhaps appreciate the goodness of the good shepherd more by comparing him, as Jesus does here, with the thief and the hired hand. The thief climbs in by another way. The shepherd, in verse 1, enters by the gate he is supposed to be there his entry to God's flock is legitimate it is authorized the father has let him in through the gate and more than that actually as he he switches the metaphor a bit he is the gate in verse 9 I am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved They will come in and go out and find pasture. This is another 
of those great I am sayings. Another thing, time where he's saying, here is something that is true of me that can only be true of God. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's what's in focus here. God as the only one who can save us, the only one who can decide, here is the way in to my people. We can't find our own way in to God's people. If we want to be part of this flock, we can't sneak in by another route. If we want the benefits of being in Jesus' flock, we can't get in by trying hard, by being smart, by being virtuous. Jesus is the gate. He is the only way in. If we want the benefits of being in his flock, we have to come through the gates. We have to come through Jesus. And we should want these benefits. These benefits are spectacular. Again, compare the shepherd's results with the thief's results. The thief comes and brings death and destruction. But Jesus draws on that that promise made through Ezekiel, rich pasture. And he says, I have come that my sheep may have life and have it to the full. Not just life, but abundant life, overflowing life, the best life. The thief is after the flock for his own interests. The shepherd is after the flock for what is good for them. And Psalm 23 picks up on that and describes what it is like to be shepherded by Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Here is where the shepherd's voice will lead you. And again, this is building up to an eternity of this, to a life that is like being a sheep brought to an all-you-can-eat grass buffet and endless refills of cool, fresh water. Whatever reality that metaphor is speaking of, the meaning is clear. What more could a sheep want? What more could a sheep want? And yet there is more. How about to be truly known? Verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. What a comparison. Shouldn't we all want that? To, to know and to be known? Jesus offers you a depth of relationship that is so great, so rich, that he can actually compare it to, to the intimate, mutual, infinite way in which he and the Father have been relating to each other in love since eternity past. True, deep, pure, everlasting love. I know 
my sheep, and my sheep know me. And again, see the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand when danger comes. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hired hand isn't the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. But the shepherd is all in. He will give his own life. He will walk into the teeth of the wolf to protect you. And not only that, the good shepherd will not only face death for his sheep, he will overcome death for his sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. All other humans, our life is in God's hand. Here is a unique human. God, become human. He can lay down his life and pick it up again. Because life is in him. Life is from him. Jesus is saying this before he died on a cross. And before he was raised again on the third day. If we set this in in the, the narrative of his whole life, we can see the cross and the resurrection are very much in his mind here. Jesus' death was not a tragic accident. It was not a failure. It was the plan. He chose to lay down his life. He chose to die for his sheep. And the rest of the Bible tells us that he did that in our place, that we are not in his flock. We are not innocent lambs. We are stubborn sheep who have gone astray, who've gotten lost, who've turned from God. But instead of leaving us out in the wilderness to die, God becomes our shepherd and seeks us out. And as the the kaleidoscope turns and the image shifts, Christ is killed in place of the sheep as a sacrificial lamb. As shepherd, Jesus stands in the path of the wolf as it lunges towards you. The good shepherd willingly lays down his life and then he picks it up again. He raises himself from the dead. He conquers death for his sheep so that we can have life to the full, life without an end, life that is bigger than death. And I hope it's become clear to you why Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He is the voice that we want to listen to. But what about you and the good shepherd? Yet again, as happens so often in John's gospel, Jesus says something and gets a very mixed response in verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again 
divided. Some are saying he's a madman, he's, he's demon-possessed. Others are saying, hold on, this is something about that explanation is not quite adding up. Maybe there's more to this. And as John ends with that division, I think he invites us to ask, where do I stand on that question? He, he's saying these things. What kind of voice do I think that I'm listening to here? Is Jesus a strange voice, a voice that is going to lead me into danger, a voice I don't want to listen to? Or is it the voice of a shepherd, a shepherd who can lead me to that life to the full? The shepherd has spoken. He's spoken to each of us. He says he calls us by name. You've heard his invitation. You've heard what he offers you as the good shepherd. The flock of Jesus, those who benefit from the care of the shepherd, are defined again and again here by their ability to hear his voice. What does that look like? Well, it looks an awful lot like the blind man in chapter 9. This is the event that happened that Jesus is responding to and explaining with this picture. So if, if you weren't here last week, it'd be great to just maybe after read back over that. But, but Jesus healed this blind man. And, and there are a few moments in what happens where it is clear that this man is the sheep who is recognizing Jesus' voice. When he meets Jesus, he is blind. All that he has to go off is Jesus' voice. But when Jesus said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, the man went and washed. He could have thought, I don't know that voice. It's a stranger. I'm not going to listen. But he heard something in Jesus' voice there, something that said shepherd, something that said trustworthy. And if you've been listening for the last few minutes, I think you have a lot more to go off than that man did. Something that said shepherd. So he went. He took a step. He went and he tested that voice. And as he did so, he found just a, a taste of that rich pasture. He found healing for his sight. And he found, too, something in that experience, enough of a foretaste to that life to the full that he thought, this is where I want to be, not listening to these strangers, not listening to these Pharisees. He found something in what Jesus had said and, and done for him that helped him resist the Pharisees to say no to them, to recognize the danger in where they were leading him. And as he did that, Jesus showed him more to know and to be known. Jesus told him, he is the son of man. I am the son of man. This mysterious person in the prophet Daniel's vision, who we were thinking about this morning in the book of Daniel and in Revelation. This one who is fully human and yet to be worshipped by the whole world as only God can be. And Jesus says this, and, and what's the man's response? He hears, he recognizes Jesus' voice, and he worships 
Jesus as Lord. When Jesus speaks, his sheep hear. They recognize in his voice one who came in through the gate. One who indeed is the gate. One who will lead them to life, not death. One who cares enough to fight the wolf for them. One who's strong enough to win against the wolf for them. And so when he says, come, the sheep come. When he says, go, the sheep go, even though the path seems dangerous. Psalm 23 goes on. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, the good shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When he says go, the sheep go. When he shows more of himself, the sheep worship him more. I want to ask you today, what would be the next step for you to relate to Jesus like that? Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe this is the first you've heard about this. Or you've heard it and you just don't, you, you haven't connected with it. This good shepherd maybe sounds good, but you need to know if it's true. Well, I want to put a challenge to you tonight. If what is on offer here is real, that this life to the full that this best, most full, most everlasting version of life possible, if this is real, if it even might be real, isn't it worth finding out if this is true? Isn't it worth looking into this a bit more? And if this is true, you will find that as you are looking for Jesus, that actually it was he who was looking for you all along. He was the shepherd calling you by name. Or maybe you already know Jesus' voice. Maybe he is your good shepherd and has been for many years, but we can all grow, can't we, in hearing the shepherd's voice, in knowing the shepherd's voice. I know I can. We can all aim that when we read the Bible this week, we we read it and not just hear historical narrative or or, or good advice or lists of commands. But as we read, we listen out for the voice of our shepherd calling us by name, speaking into our lives, into the situations that we're facing, calling us out, inviting us onto a path. Yes, maybe a hard path, maybe a dark valley, but one that he will be with us in. One that is going to lead us to life, to refreshment for our souls, to being known. And finally, as Jesus is rebuking leaders here, this is a passage of great comfort, but he says it as a rebuke to bad shepherds. 
I think there is a warning for us here too. Whenever we find ourselves leading others. As Christians, we are to hear his voice. As Christians who lead, we are also to speak in his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one chief shepherd, but he still does appoint others to shepherd under him. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, Christ gave pastors and teachers to the church, and that word pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. It is It's become a role title, but in the original, it is the same word for shepherd that Jesus uses here. And in his wisdom, Jesus does speak to his flock through his under-shepherds. That in their words are his words. And not just pastors. I think there are lots of ways in which we all lead, advise, influence each other, both in the church and as we relate to those outside the church. And so even if most of us are not and will not be pastors, I think there is still a challenge for all of us here. What an enormous privilege that the good shepherd would speak his words through you. When you're telling your friends about Jesus, that is not just you telling your friends. That is Jesus telling your friends about himself. And the same when we, we encourage each other. That's not, that's not just me saying that. That's not just you saying that. That is Jesus speaking through us. And so when we find ourselves with that kind of influence, with that kind of leadership, over others, when we find ourselves advising others, let us aim to speak in a way that it's his voice speaking through us. That I'm not just throwing out, here are some thoughts from me. It's his voice speaking through us. And here are three ways, just, just quickly to close, here are three ways we can do that. First, As you lead others, go through the gate. Don't be like the thief, climbing over the fence to influence others through some other way. Don't let your starting point for leading others be be your own knowledge, your, your personal charisma, your good reputation. Let the starting point of your leading others be that you have come in through Christ. You have come in through the gate. Start with how he leads you. Start with him as your shepherd and then think about how you're going to lead others. As you lead others, go through the gate. Second, as you lead others, lead them to life. Life to the full. If you are leading people, be careful where your advice, where your your recommendations are leading them. Don't direct them on a path that will end in destruction. Point them onto the path of Christ and the life that he offers. Go through the gate. Lead them to life. 
And thirdly, as you lead others, be prepared to face the wolves. Leadership is no small thing. Don't lead like a hired hand. Put your heart into it. If you're going to advise others, be sure that you care for them. Be willing to lay down your life for them. Let your leadership be cross-shaped as you love them in the way that Jesus loved you. Whether we follow or lead, let us be sure that we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these, your words to us. We thank you for all that they say about you, for all that they offer for us. And Lord, we just pray that we would take hold of that. We pray that we would know this to be true. Pray that it would fill us with everything that you promise here. That we would be able to say of our lives, yes, this is life to the full. We would be able to say of our souls, yes, this is hard, but I'm being refreshed. We pray that we would always remain in your flock, Lord Jesus. We pray that we would know you as our good shepherd. Amen.